You're listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes, the podcast all about absolutely 100% true facts that are not made up. I'm your host, Piper Dawes, and with me as always is Christopher Parr, director of the Munchausen Institute for Totally Real Research. Hey, Chris. Hello. Chris has gathered his favourite facts from the Institute's activity this week, and he's going to share them with us today. So, uh, Chris, what's the Institute been up to this week? As you know, uh, the schools have reopened recently and we've been debating whether or not to reinstate our children's lectures and face painting programme. Yes. On the one hand, schools have always been one of our primary avenues for promoting the Institute's work. On the other hand, we have the health of both us and the children to consider. And on the other, other hand, the third hand... Children. (laughs) I couldn't agree more, honestly. I mean, they're not very clever, are they? kids no no they're not and really i mean you as as you have discovered during doing this podcast you really need someone to bounce off that's actually got some real academic gravitas yeah because all the kids are interested in these days is like pokemon and football stickers and s club seven that is true some of them do like batman though yeah but only fucking batman v superman batman not any of the good ones oh yeah i've yet to meet a child who truly appreciates Adam West. And to meet a child that actually knows who Adam West is beyond the Family Guy character. <laughs> Precisely, yeah. Children definitely still watch Family Guy, don't they? Uh, I mean, I know I did when I was a child. Yeah, yeah. And things when we were children are exactly the same as they are now? Actually, Piper, I think you'll find everything is worse now. It's smaller and more expensive. Just like my penis. <laughs> Okay, well, let's put all that to rest and look at fact number one. What's this one then, Chris? In 1957, the Olympic definition of a game was updated to require players to wear clothes. Okay, so uh, over the years, there have been a lot of additional rules that have had to be added to the Olympic Games. No drugs, no pets, no depressurizing the entire stadium no flirting with the judges no rejecting the judges advances no gene splicing with marine life that one's specifically for swimming events of course uh no bribery using any currency dogs or otherwise and no fishing of course and that's again specifically for the swimming events uh these rules are often as with strange local bylaws the result of a specific incident what happened here chris So, unknown to the Australian organisers or the Olympic Committee itself, uh, several members of Team Australia in the 1956 Melbourne Olympics were also members of an extreme nudist group. Extreme nudist? Yeah, that's extreme as in extremist. They were like social and political activists with a mandate to get nudism more widely accepted. Oh! And I don't mean nudism as some sort of extreme sport, like naked BMXing or something. Or just really 90s nudists. Yeah. Like extreme radical. <laughs> Cowabunga, dude. Okay, so they, 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 yeah, so they just had to warn them in advance to wear clothes. Well, no, um, so as I said, nobody knew they were members of this extreme nudist group. So these nudists, as a way of making nudism more socially acceptable or at least more visible, they would uh, turn up to their events in their, you know, sports costumes and then strip naked before doing sport. 
Okay, so it was almost like a covert operation to try and get nudism into the mainstream. So did did they manage to did the organizers manage to stop them eventually? Well, no, because there was obviously a considerable controversy surrounding these very public and energetic displays of nudity. But there wasn't actually anything the organisers could do about it because there was nothing in the Olympic rules specifically stating that athletes had to wear clothes. Oh, so they just had to let them get on with it? Uh, Yeah, I mean, obviously this state of affairs was rectified the following year in time for the 1960 Games. But in Melbourne in 1956, just had to let them, you know, expose themselves. Okay, well, I think... I think there are some things where that they might get away with that, like um, like the toboggan race. You know, they're packed in tightly in a in a vehicle essentially, so no one can hear, see any sort of flappy appendages or anything. So so that's not so bad. And then swimming, for arguably the beginning and the end, obviously they're visible, but like you know they're underwater for a lot of that, so that's fine. Uh, I wouldn't really like to see uh, the high jump. I feel like that might be a little bit concerning. But, like, this was televised, wasn't it? Because Melbourne introduced the Summer Olympics television service in time for the Games. How did the um, producers and commentators handle that situation? Well, it wasn't just uh, the Summer Olympics television service. This was actually the first time television was, like, mainstream in Australia. So all of that exposed flesh was especially problematic, um, as a lot of Australians' first time watching TV was marred by the sight of naked athletes or improved, depending on their, their predilection. <laughs> so essentially, the uh, the uh, Melbourne television service had, had, had essentially like set a precedent for extreme nudity from the get-go. And not so much a precedent, no. I mean, they had like literally thousands of complaints to the handful of uh, TV stations operating in Australia at the time, which is believed to have uh, contributed to the nation's now overzealous censorship policies. Oh, right. Okay. So what we're saying here is this disaster with the Olympics, nudity in the first televised event in Australia, has actually changed the culture of the of the country. It seems so, yeah. As for the commentators, they were just as surprised as everyone else and generally tried to ignore the problem. One commentator during the hammer throw did remark, the hammers aren't the only balls being swung around today. <laughs> Yeah, I feel I feel like as a presenter, you'd have to take advantage of it a little bit, even if it was controversial, even if you knew the complaints were pouring in. You'd have to take the piss a little bit, wouldn't you, Chris? A little bit. And they are Australian. So, you know, that's their kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. You can't deny your own cultural identity just because a few people are complaining. So uh, do you think there was some good to come out of this? Was there like, um, at the time of the Olympics themselves, was there a noticeable advantage for Olympiads who shed their clothes for the Games? Not for Olympiads, no. In fact, Olympiads are incapable of wearing clothes or taking them off because an Olympiad is not a person, but the four-year period between Olympic Games. As for the Olympians, (laughs) Piper, with an N, not a D, their nakedness didn't confer any advantages. Thank you for for being my guide, Chris, and and making sure that I don't slip up. Well, you did slip up. I was just there to witness and mock you. Yeah, uh, that's very, very, very helpful. (laughs) Maybe should have actually typed it into Google first. 
but yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, okay, so there's no aerodynamics involved with less clothes then. I mean, really, you ask about advantages, uh, quite the opposite, actually. Running and jumping is much harder without shoes. And there were quite a few kind of nakedness-related injuries for the um, extreme nudists. Yeah, I imagine there would be, actually. Like I mentioned, the high jump, uh, yeah, if you can't jump properly, that's going to be quite a a disadvantage. Uh, But also, um, if you've not got any of this lycra holding everything down the high jump's going to be a bit of a risk i suspect the same of uh, hammer throw javelin anything with sort of heavy objects flying around and nudity it's got, it's got to be a bit of a difficult uh, like a recipe for disaster almost oh yeah i mean uh, one long jumper uh, scraped all the skin off the soles of his feet when he landed and the less said about where the paul volter's paul ended up the better so <laughs> <laughs> So do you know if these nudists, you say they were extreme nudists, so they obviously had a, an agenda. Do they, do they? I don't know, hold their own Olympic Games in protest to the rule? If so, what events would they have? Uh, there is a, what is a colloquially known as the Nudist Olympics. Um, officially, it's the International Naturist Games. As you might have guessed from the injuries sustained in the Melbourne Olympics, the ING avoids the running and jumping sports mainly focuses rather fittingly on ball sports <laughs> things like volleyball and tennis and the like well that's sensible i guess but also hilarious the nudist olympics um, have also gained a measure of uh, popularity in recent years after signing a sponsorship deal with pornhub <laughs> well pornhub are known for doing uh, quite charitable things and things that that um that progress our society in uh, interesting but useful ways. So this is exactly an example of that. They, they seem to have latched onto a beautiful anthropological phenomenon that I, for one... I am actually naked when I'm doing this podcast, Chris, if you weren't aware. Um, right, um, I'm going to need to take a break now, Piper. Uh, I need to go and pour bleach in my ears to dissolve my own brain. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's my beliefs, Chris. You can't, you can't, you can't reprimand me for my beliefs. I'm, I, I just think, I just think, you know, if, we, if God wanted us to wear clothes, we'd be, we'd be born with clothes, wouldn't we? Um, I mean, maybe, but then if God wanted us to do podcasts about true facts, we'd be born doing podcasts about true facts. Yeah, and possibly actually, we, we, uh, we wouldn't have to fork out for podcast software and microphones and things like that. Um, is there like some sort of trust fund that you can get in touch with God for? Because this is getting expensive. I've got to be honest. Um, I think you just, I think you either pray really hard, and then like something happens entirely unrelated to your prayer, but you attribute to the prayer anyway, or you give the Pope loads of money. All right. Well, I haven't got loads of money, so let's hope this prayer thing works. Um, I'm just going to stay naked and hope that that appeases our creator enough for him to send me a copy of Pro Tools and a decent microphone to record into. Oh, you do that then. (laughs) I might. (laughs) Um, I think it's interesting you mentioned that this is part of Pornhub's charitable work, because I think it's more to do with just their usual work of letting people watch naked people on the internet. Oh yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. So so when they when you say they're sponsoring, do you, do you did you say you said they were sponsoring, right? Um, I did, yes. Good. I got a bit carried away afterwards. I wanted to make sure I was listening. I noticed. 
yeah. Um, so, so when you say they're sponsoring, essentially, uh, are they are they getting the uh, exclusive televising rights or, or? Oh yeah, they have exclusive broadcast rights for the nudist Olympics. Brilliant. Okay. So do you think that the uh, nudist Olympians are excited about this fact? I imagine they wouldn't want to fetishise their own beliefs. I mean, they're getting money. They're getting their message out there. And I suppose what people do in the privacy of their own pants is, um, is only their business. Okay, well, that brings us on to our second fact of the show. What have you got for us for this one, Chris? Humphrey Bogart ran an ocelot sanctuary. Okay, well, uh, Humphrey Bogart, uh, for the listener who doesn't know, Humphrey Bogart, star of Casablanca, The Big Sleep, many other Hollywood movies from the 40s and 50s. He's known for his calm attitude off screen and was often seen as a father figure on set by young people working with him. Uh, After his death, his uh, fans, the so-called bogey cult, not to be confused with the Californian Nose Pickers Society, uh, lauded him for his humble and kind demeanour and held his films up as almost ironic characters compared to his real-life persona. So, of the Hollywood celebrities of the time, Bogart would be fairly high on the list if I had to guess who of them might run a wild animal sanctuary. How did it come about, Chris? So, in the late 1940s and early 1950s, um, ocelots became fashionable as pets in Hollywood because of their perceived exotic nature, despite the fact that they were actually native to the Americas, the fact that they're surprisingly affectionate, and of course because of Salvador Dali and his pet ocelot, uh, Babu. Yes, of course, yeah. So so uh, uh, quite, uh, quite a caricature such as Salvador Dali having a, a pet ocelot. That's exactly the sort of thing that start this would start a elitist trend i mean this happens quite frequently within the hollywood elite even to this day keeping wild animals is still seen as a sort of status symbol synonymous with wealth success power but in this case what what actually happened to the um, ocelots themselves well unfortunately ocelots require a great deal of care and attention their playful personalities lead them to be quite destructive in unsuitable homes jumping around chewing on the furniture So a lot of Hollywood stars would end up callously abandoning their ocelots after only owning them for a short while. At this point, I'd like to say that ocelots are for life, not just for award season. Yeah, and that's a very uh, important message to put out to our listener. I'm sure a large percentage of our listening base are celebrities. Um, So how did Humphrey Bogart get involved? So Bogart himself uh, took great care of his own beloved ocelot, Dashiell, and he began taking in other stars' ocelots. Eventually, he ended up with so many ocelots that he turned part of his home in LA into an ocelot sanctuary, which he called Bogart's Big Cat. Oh, so he was uh, so he was actually caring for the pets of the Hollywood elite then. So what happened to the big cats in the end then? So uh, eventually, uh, Bogart's Big Cats was home to over 50 ocelots. Um, Unfortunately, um, on his death in 1957, the ocelots ended up being bought by various zoos and private collectors around the country. In subsequent years, Lauren Bacall, Humphrey Bogart's widow, was accused of murdering Bogart by rival ocelot sanctuary owner Mickey Rooney. And this controversy was later fictionalised in the made-for-TV movie Prince Ocelot. <laughs> oh, can you get can you can you find that on Netflix, Chris? 
I know it's one of those uh, lost movies. Uh, I think the um, well, there's a whole controversy surrounding the print. Uh, uh, Rooney accused Bacall of burning it. Uh, Bacall accused Rooney of stealing it and screening it at private events. It's a whole, it's a whole thing, Piper. So obviously there was quite a controversial documentary about it, and it's been quite a big story that obviously I need to look into because I love stuff like that. It's very exciting. So did Humphrey Bogart ensure that the ocelots were well looked after? Was it a good sanctuary? Um, yeah, um, they all received a lot of uh, love and attention from the kind-hearted Humphrey Bogart. Um, his house had a large ground, so they had plenty of room. They could uh, jump around the boat from the African Queen. They could chew on the treasure of the Sierra Madre. And they all slept in the bed from the big sleep. <laughs> oh, well, so, so fairly standard needs have been met for these ocelots. Uh, yes, yeah. So uh, do you, do we do we know if the uh, Humphrey Bogart, the leader of the Rat Pack, did he keep any other pets? Uh, just the one. Um, he had a falcon called Malta. <laughs> so obviously the institute's been looking into this quite heavily. Um, have you have you looked into any other controversial celebrity pet trends, other than the well-known ones, obviously? Right, the one that's caused the most controversy, the one that's like come under fire a lot, um, is the one uh, started by Madonna and picked up by the likes of Brad and Angelina, like Ewan McGregor, uh, for keeping African children as pets. Right, yeah, no, I've heard about this, actually. I mean, they, they almost kind of treat them like human beings, but this is a, this is it's just another ego trip for Hollywood megalomaniacs then, really. Uh, yeah, they're using countries like Malawi, as you or I might use an animal shelter. More pleasantly, Dwayne Johnson has one of the world's largest collections of pet rocks. His favourite is a chunk of igneous rock called Iggy, named, of course, after Iggy Pop. All right, that brings us on to the third fact of the show. What's this one, Chris? Uh, McDonald's created its own computer operating system. Okay, great. I mean, fast food's often synonymous with product tie-ins like movie franchises, computer games, uh, music. It sounds like this was actually their own computer product. What was it? So it was named MucoS, and the system was produced in the early 2000s as part of the company's attempts to rebrand after its public image took a hit due to the impact of the documentary Super Size Me. So after the documentary came out, public opinion of the brand went down. So they started reacting by branching out with computer products. Seems an odd move. It was like all tied into their effort to make them seem less unhealthy. The operating system itself had limited functionality and was designed to quote-unquote educate people on the health benefits or at least the lack of health detriments of McDonald's food. Oh, okay. So... It was more of a like edutainment centre sort of thing. Yeah, kind of, yeah. This came out, did you say, in the early 2000s? It's very different age technology-wise. How could fast food fans get hold of this operating system at the time? I mean, it was mostly distributed through uh, CD-ROMs, uh, back when CD-ROMs were still a thing. But it was also available on uh, proprietary burger-shaped laptops. Okay, so there's a couple of points on this. First of all, can you explain to the, uh, the listener at home what a CD-ROM is? Uh, it's a shiny circle that you put into a cup holder on an old-timey computer 
and then like music or games or operating systems fall out of it into your computer. Wonderful. It's like the internet, but small, um, ultimately um, less. I mean, it was like very, very, very small parts of the internet put onto a shiny circle. Yeah, yeah. And then before that, they had the save icon, but big. And that was like smaller than a CD-ROM, but also kind of the same size. It was a weird time, wasn't it, Chris? So uh, so these, uh, can we just move on to these burger-shaped <laughs> laptops? Because that excites me no end. So were they flat laptops with just, just like the shape of a burger? Oh, no, these were like the size, like roughly of a normal laptop, but like shaped in all proportions like a burger. So you'd flip it open and the screen would be on the top button, as it were, and the little keyboard and trackpad would be on the, the bottom button. Right, I, I want one of these. I am very excited about this. I, I know that they're, you know, ancient steampunk technology by today's standards, but God damn, that sounds really exciting. I want a little burger laptop. Was it popular at the time? Is it is it still going? Mac OS was uh, swiftly discontinued in 2004 after a successful copyright claim by Apple and their similarly named and pre-existing Mac OS. Oh, so there were some similarities between Mac OS and Mac OS. What were the similarities? Uh, the similarities was that Mac OS sounds a little teeny tiny bit like Mac OS. How does it sound? How does it sound the same as? How does how does Mac OS sound the same as Mac OS? Right, take the A out of Mac OS, Piper. Okay. And now say it. I see what I see. What? Yeah. Okay. I I understand. Yeah, yeah. No, I did it in my head, but no, no, that doesn't make any sense because I I reckon they could get away. If I was if I was their lawyer, if I was um, uh, McDonald's lawyer, I'd just claim um, like tribute rights or like uh, par parody parody rights. If you could just say that you did it for a laugh, they could get away with that. They could just say you know Mac OS is like Mac OS, but it's silly, isn't it? Uh, but it wasn't a parody of of Mac OS. It was their own proprietary thing. And I don't think they could have really gotten away with it. I don't think they could have gotten away with a burger-shaped laptop as somehow being a parody of a, a MacBook. Yeah, okay. They couldn't like, do a legal retcon. Fair enough. Does the um, Institute think the operating system would have been successful at all if it was allowed to continue then? Uh, I really don't think so. And like I said, it had like really limited functionality. It had no internet access except for... Uh, the handful of McDonald's restaurants that had the company's uh, proprietary network installed. Oh, okay. So, so essentially, this was like I say before, it's like a tool for educating people on the health benefits of McDonald's. So it's um, it's sort of just a just an advertising tool, really. It's 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 not it's not going to play Quake. Uh, no, its only real features were a calendar, which could only really be used to track upcoming Happy Meal promotions. A handful of uh, quote-unquote educational games, which were basically just uh, McDonald's-branded variants of things like Minesweeper and Solitaire, designed to teach kids like how many Big Macs they could safely eat in a day. And a word processor, which auto-corrected generic terms into McDonald's trademarks. I mean, I, 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 would, I would deal with that. I would deal with that for the, for the burger-shaped laptop. <laughs> can I have one? Can I get can I get one of these these burger laptops? I know I keep I know I keep going on about it, but I I 
I don't know. I'm, you've excited. You've overstimulated me, Chris, <laughs> with this with this <laughs> promise of this burger laptop. Um, they're exceedingly rare, Piper. Um, McDonald's has spent the last few years uh, since its discontinuation, like buying up uh, the laptops, under the reasoning that the expense of buying them uh, from private citizens is less than that of mitigating the PR nightmare of explaining them. Explaining them? Well, yeah, because they're just this like corporate education tool, basically. Oh, okay. So there are people buying these laptops up online, almost by osmosis, not realising what they are. And then there's uh, like this PR nightmare trying to explain what the fuck they are and what they're for, because it's kind of a little outdated now. And a, yeah, so I, I, I understand that, but I still want one. Um, what, what sort of price are we looking at? I mean, like, I, I, can I swap one for an actual burger? Well, as I say, they're rare. So, and given that McDonald's is paying a pretty penny for them, uh, you're not going to get one cheap now. I mean, uh, we've been trying to get hold of one, if only because selling it back to McDonald's would get us a nice bit of funding. Okay, fair enough. So I got quite excited when you said you've been, you've been looking for one, because I was going to say, if you get older one, I'll have it after you're done with your research bollocks or whatever it is you do, and I'll just have... Research bollocks? Yeah, that was a technical term. Research, it, import, it means important, important, essential academic research on things that I am interested in. The Piper, the technical term is research testes. I, I am so sorry. I, my, where are my manners? <laughs> So that you know, you, you've said a, a, bit, a little bit about the actual uh, programs that are in there, but what was what did it look like? What did the the operating system actually look like? I mean, I'm, I'm sort of imagining uh, Ronald McDonald's stupid face on every screen, bike colours, and and constant McPuns. <laughs> well, um, uh, puns seem to have been somewhat beyond the programmers, as everything just has Mc in front of it. So McWord, McCalendar, McSettings. McShutdown. You're right about uh, the bright colours and stupid clown faces, though, because uh, everything on macOS is just basically an advertisement for McDonald's. So, for example, if you were starting to write, say, an essay for school in McWord, uh, one of the assistants, because uh, there were several in McWord, including Ronald himself, uh, the Hamburglar, um, Officer Big Mac, etc., so one of them would appear and say something like, it looks like you're not writing about McDonald's great value food, such as the ever popular Big Mac. Would you like some help changing your entire document to one entirely about McDonald's surprisingly not unhealthy products, such as our chicken McNuggets made with what we can legally refer to as chicken? <laughs> Okay, so it sounds <laughs> it sounds like this whole operating system is designed to coerce people into buying McDonald's products, which we've we've sort of been alluding to from the start. But uh, I feel like they could have done a better job of it, especially with the puns. Like if they're just putting muck in front of everything, it doesn't work. I've I I I know this as 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 someone who's been um, a, a big listener of of ska music for a long time. If you just put ska in front of anything, it doesn't quite work. It has to rhyme at least with the thing that you're talking about. So maybe maybe they should actually collaborate with the Scar community and maybe work on the puns a little bit more because that's that's where the real talent is. I mean, I feel like like this macOS was already contributing to a kind of deficit in child intelligence, and if you mix that with Scar, you can have some really fucking stupid children, Piper. 
As always, you are completely <laughs> right, Chris. Um, so, do you, do you know of any other product slash OS crossovers? So, like operating systems that have been designed after product identity. So, uh, Disney produced a mobile operating system, unimaginatively called Disney Mobile, whose only real selling point, beyond having Disney characters slapped all over the place, uh, was the option to make callers sound like mickey or minnie mouse oh my god no that yes um can you is there any way we could harness that power and and inject it into like i don't know uh sat nav right they already do sat navs based on other people's voices they do yeah there's loads of people doing sat navs now really i mean I've, have you done one chris um i've not done one um, i've not been approached yet well you heard it, heard it here first no one has as has, has yet um asked uh, Christopher Parr of the Munchausen Institute for Totally Real Research to be on a a satnav as the voice of said satnav. I I I imagine you'd be great at uh, telling people to take U turns. Is that some kind of dig at my political leanings or something, Piper? Oh, it really sounded like it was, didn't it? Because <laughs> this lady is not for turning. <laughs> So um, Disney Mobile has largely been forgotten, though it is quite popular among the furry community. Great, like so what? So like as a almost like a, um, a like a networking device to, is this like a dark net for furries? Um, I'm surprised I need to spell this out, Piper. What they do is they call each other up, make themselves sound like cartoon animals, and then you know. Oh God! Make a mess in their suits. Chris, you know that bleach you were talking about, like that you had earlier. Can I, can I have it for my entire fucking mind? It's all gone, mate. Oh bloody hell! All right, well I'll just have to deal with this. Therapy, it is. Um, any others? Um, yes, um, the Trump Organization produced an operating system. What? No way! Oh, we love them because they did that. They did Trump's Trumps. Do you remember Trump's Trumps? Trump other Trumps. I do remember Trumps, Trump, Trumping other Trumps. Yeah, because that was it. I mean, that was in the that was in the first show. That was very exciting. So they've not only done uh, uh, an aftershave; they've also done um, an operating system, like off of like with, like Windows and stuff like that. Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, unsurprisingly, called Trump OS, um, it was fundamentally unusable, and not because it was riddled with bugs and errors, although it certainly was riddled with bugs and errors. But because when Trump OS crashed, a pop-up would appear denying that Trump OS had crashed. So it became, essentially, it was it was impossible to recover from a crash because misinformation developed by the administration, uh, sorry, operating system itself. The pop-ups were bizarrely wordy as well, uh, saying things like, don't believe the liberal lies about Trump OS crashing. Like, Trump OS doesn't crash. It's a fine operating system, I'm told. The best. The best in the world. There weren't even computers before Trump OS. That's how good it is. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so so Trump OS was... Was it a fully functional operating system then, like, rather than uh, the uh, Mook OS or the Disney uh, Mobile? Well, I'm not entirely sure fully functioning applies here. Okay, well, in theory... 
Uh, on paper, in the manual, was it fully functioning? Well, the manual was swiftly criticised by the Trump organisation itself for being full of lies. All right. Okay. So the oft-used IT acronym RTFM, read the fucking manual, doesn't actually apply here because actually it doesn't represent the operating system itself. Or is that according to the Trump? Oh, I see what's happening. Okay. <laughs> it's fake news, isn't it? Fake news. Yeah. Fake news. Fake news. Yeah. So 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 Trump OS um, is clearly the best operating system, and that we and we should all be using it. Uh, just don't read the manual because that is an honest rep- representation of what it's actually like, and none of us want to hear that. We just want to hear um, the the things that sound nice. Yeah. Or grab it by the pussy. Okay, that brings us round to our fourth and final fact of the show. What's this one, Chris? The most recent saint canonised by the Catholic Church is also the patron saint of the internet. Well, modern saints of the Catholic Church are still generally saints of things we've always had. For example, we have a patron saint of biological mothers, but not of adoptive mothers. A patron saint of music, but not one for dubstep. There's even a patron saint of criminals, but not one for cybercrime. Uh, the Catholic Church aren't exactly known for modernising their dogma or approach to the Christian faith. What changed, Chris? So this was Kendra Vellini, uh, now Saint Kendra. Uh, she was an Instagram influencer who gained the Vatican's favour through her efforts to promote Catholicism on social media. Oh, okay, so she was a big fan. But, like, don't saints have to do something, like, miraculous to actually be saints? Well, um, as I'm sure you know, uh, prospective saints are required to perform uh, two verifiable miracles to be canonised. Yeah, yeah. If you just do the one miracle, like most of us, don't count. Right, I mean, I turned a dog into a cat earlier, but I don't see the Vatican coming round my door. Yeah, I mean, as far as they know, I've turned Pepsi into Coke. I can't tell either, but... (laughs) (laughs) So what did she do then? So the first miracle attributed to St. Kendra was turning a bottle of still water into sparkling water. Great. I mean, what, she just fill it with gas? The miracle was it was a bottle of still water. Uh, Kendra wanted sparkling water, and when she opened the bottle, it went, oh, fizzy, 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 uh, with sparkling water now. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, the claims of some sceptics that it was probably just a mislabeled bottle has been dismissed by the church as heretically reasonable. <laughs> oh, we're going to get sued. <laughs> well, that's a great... That's a, so that was the first one. That was her first miracle. I mean, that's that's all right. You know, I mean, it's got its, it's, got its potential deniability, but that's a great start. What was the, what was the second one? Uh, the second of Kendra's uh, supposed miracles, um, and the one for which she has been declared patron saint of the internet, was getting a Wi-Fi signal on her phone where there was no router. And so this has been verified? Well, again, sceptics have argued that uh, router signals can like drop in and out, and it's possible that Kendra just picked up a signal that had like, only just appeared on her phone. Uh, claims which the Vatican have again dismissed as being sinfully logical. Right, of course, of course. So it is possible 
that she may have picked up on an open Wi-Fi signal from an unsecured network or just had a dropout for a bit and it came back or whatever. Um, but it is also possible that she has utilised divine intervention and developed a Wi-Fi signal of her own from the sheer power of God. I mean, I suppose it is possible. Good. Well, I'm glad you said so, Chris. And clearly the uh, the Vatican thinks so. I suppose that's all that matters for canonization. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this is very exciting. So is Kendra going to have any kind of legacy um, moving forward? Uh, she's become um, understandably popular among trendy online Catholics, uh, so much so that the Vatican is rumoured to be working on their own um, internet service provider under St. Kendra's name. Whoa, wow. Oh, what, what, what's that going to be called? Uh, Kendranet. It sounds like something I would want, you know, Kendranet. Sounds better than Virgin Media, doesn't it? So they're looking to harness the power of Kendra's miracle of, and, and have, what, like, Catholic-approved free internet for all? Can I just say Virgin Mary? Virgin <laughs> Mary, dear. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I thought about it, Chris, but I thought it's not funny enough. It's <laughs> <laughs> never stopped you before. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I am horrified. If it wasn't so completely accurate, I would fucking take you down a peg. <laughs> Prick. Go on then. Answer the bloody question. Um so I mean um, even providing that the sceptics are wrong and St. Kendra is able to somehow provide some kind of divine Wi-Fi, uh, I don't think it would be free for all. Um, I doubt the Vatican would want gay people or women using the Lord's internet. Oh, it's possible, actually, that, that if, the, if, if the Catholic Church have the, the powers to intervene, who actually gains access to their free internet, this could create almost... Um, uh, like a, a internet f fascism. I'm a little bit scared by that. Um, yeah, um, I mean, all of this, of course, is contingent on them actually getting some kind of, as I say, divine Wi-Fi going. Well, she's done it once. She did it on her Instagram story. And as we know, Instagram stories are academically viable, at least within the Catholic Church. And I suppose as well, um, any given user's bandwidth would probably be subject to how much unconfessed sin they have or how much money they've given the Pope. Okay, so there could be some kind of system in place, like a point system, like a, a, like a sin system, sort of like Weight Watchers. Uh, one advantage, I suppose, of a heavenly internet service is that there'd be no need for tech support. Um, if you're experiencing connection issues, just pray to St. Kendra and quite literally, God willing, you'll be back online. Whoa. Why haven't any of the other internet service providers taken, taken this, this, uh, this, this direction? Because they're not uh, divinely appointed. Yeah, hooked up to the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and of course, if your problem persists, then it just means that God clearly doesn't want you on the internet. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, if you can't, if if you get a permanent four hundred four, then it's just not in God's plan. Exactly. So you can't really complain to the Catholic Church or the internet service provider managers, um, uh, call centres, or anything like that. It wouldn't make sense because actually, it's 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 God's plan for you not to be on the internet. It's it's foolproof. It's brilliant. So, Saint Kendra, Chris. 
Yes. Saints. They've got to be dead before they can be saints. I'm guessing Kendra's dead. Uh, she is. Yes. How did how did how did that happen? Uh, she was updating her Instagram on her phone, uh, not looking where she was going, and fell down an open manhole. Oh, okay. So it was during the process of uh, what, essentially what she's been made a saint for, which is updating her Instagram, um, a very holy and uh, important process, as I'm sure you'll agree. So so she died doing doing God's will. Uh, yeah, kind of like an indirect martyr. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, a web martyr. A water. If you no, I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> a manhole martyr. A manhole martyr, or a martyr, if you will. <laughs> I won't. So I, I mean, I love, I love this idea of saints. Um, like I said at the beginning, there have been some saints of that. There have been a lot of saints over the decades, centuries, millennia, whatever. Um, but they've generally been of like pretty normal mundane things. Do you know? Does the institute know of any saints that that have been saints, patron saints of uh, any unexpected concepts? Uh, there is, of course, Saint Hubbins, a patron saint of quality footwear. Great. Any others? Uh, there is Saint David of Albion, a patron saint of conspiracies. Conspiracies. Uh, yeah, um, although some believe St. David never actually existed and was invented by the Illuminati to draw attention away from the reptilians building an underground complex under Denver Airport where the witch will live after NASA blows up the moon. Wow, do you know, that that, I, that totally resonates with me. It totally makes sense. I completely get that. I'm going to have to Google this later. Right, <laughs> that's very exciting. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Thank you. Thank you for putting me onto that, Chris. That's great. I, I, I'm going to look at uh, a succession of YouTube videos and um, probably argue with other people on the internet and put those forwards as academic fact. Yeah, I'm going to have a great evening. I might get a takeaway. Jamina, YouTube videos that say something like uh, proof the Illuminati is real and yet in 20 minutes don't offer up anything even resembling proof. Oh, you know, you've obviously looked at this too. Yeah, no, yeah, no. That's the sort of thing I'm talking about. I mean, it's 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 absolute perfect proof that these these things are real. And all all you need to do is look up the title on a YouTube video, and that's enough, isn't it? You know, that's what that's what that's what tells you that that's happened, and that 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 these uh, that these conspiracy theories aren't theories after t- after all. I mean, that's the way they get you. They call them conspiracy theories, but actually, they're conspiracy facts. So do you believe St. David existed or not? Ooh, uh, I mean, I'm going to have to look it up, but to, to be honest, it, it, it Oh, sounds, come on, it looking sounds... things up has never stopped a conspiracy theorist before, Piper. Well, it sounds it sounds very plausible, but it, I, I feel like I, I feel like if um, what you're saying, what you're saying is it, it could be a cover up. And, I, and, 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 and as you know, cover ups are all all real. Um it, that that sounds like the, exactly the sort of thing that the uh, the American government or the Illuminati would be doing. Um, so so uh, I immediately believe it without any questions. Okay then. All right. So so there's uh, there's there's you've 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 given us a couple of examples. I I, I want more. I, I would like to hear some more examples of unexpected saints, Chris. Um, okay. Uh, there's Saint Roger. Uh, prayed to when you see an actor in a film and just can't remember who they are. 
and there's Saint Jean, who you pray to when you see an actor in a film. And though you know exactly who they are, there's one particular film they're in that you just can't remember. Okay, that's it. You've been listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes with me, Piper Doors. I can be found on Twitter at Piper Talks and Christopher Parr from the Munchausen Institute. Um, I can be found on Twitter at Trilby Norton and the Institute can be found on Twitter at Muin Photo Ray Ray, M-U-I-N-F-O-T-O-R-E-R-E. And you can contact the podcast on Twitter at C-Cubes and Facebook and Instagram at Chickens Can't See Cubes. Okay, great. Well, thanks for listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes. And remember, you probably could make it up, but we haven't. Honest. And we'll catch you once again on next week's show. Goodbye. Bye.